Greetings, this is The Pub, Straylight Magazine's podcast about all things narrative, story, and publishing. I'm Dean Karpowitz. I'm Trey Bourne. And I'm Sarah Willis. Today on the show, WandaVision. Very late. (laughs) (laughs) There's still so much to talk about, though. I know. I mean, we had to do the episode, right? Out of all the spinoffs, out of all the movies, out of all of the Marvel stuff, this is probably the most interesting, the most unique, and maybe the most brave out of any of the standard fare that we've seen. So first, what, what do we think? I loved it. I thought it was incredible. And um, I agree. It really was something very original. And I, I was not familiar with the comics. And so to me, it was just something I've never seen in this I guess, popcorn type of television. And several times I was thinking to myself, are they really going there? Are they really doing this? And they did. And I thought it was very successful. Yeah, it's certainly like uh, Marvel has done a lot of really cool and interesting things, but I think it's all sort of fit a particular mold. And I think this was the first time they really stepped out of that mold because that first episode of WandaVision, I was really like, this is an interesting structure. I was going to say, maybe they've done some things that are a, a little bold, but it they're pretty formulaic, wouldn't you say? I mean, for the most part, this is what's putting butts in chairs in the theater. Right. You get an MCU movie, you know what to expect. And being both the first like series adaptation uh, and being so strange and different. and And I think it is interesting that in dealing with an episodic, uh, media, they were able to take this new direction and it worked. And I wasn't sure if it was going to work in the first episode because it was a slow start. I had a lot of friends I recommended it to that were like, why would I want to watch Bewitched? Uh, mm-hmm. This isn't, this is not what I signed up for. Like, no, mm-hmm. wait, just stick with it. It gets really good. Me too. Yeah. And it was almost, I think the episode that came on or the show that came on Disney Plus after this was The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. And I watched it. And it was so jarring to me, the, the difference between the two. Oh, yeah. It was so boring or to me and formulaic compared to... I gave up. Wandavid- yeah, me too. Oh, I loved I loved Falcon and Winter Soldier, but they're very, very different shows. Yeah. It was good. Uh, the episodes I watched and I, I skimmed over some of the recaps online. <laughs> but to me, it was just so formulaic. I, I knew what was coming. And I, and I appreciate that they were trying to play with some of the tropes and some of the perception of United States overseas with the Captain America and mythos and everything. But to me, it was just, I don't know, WandaVision just blew me away in so many ways that I I couldn't even, I don't know, I wasn't excited about Falcon and Winter Soldier when the episodes came out compared to WandaVision. I was just, I couldn't wait for episodes to come out. Uh, The mystery part of WandaVision was very compelling. To try to the to trying to sort out what was going on, uh, and I don't feel like I had that kind of experience in any sort of Marvel property. So one of the things while you guys were talking, I was thinking this was a show that you had to wait. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's Disney does that. The whole they don't give us the Netflix experience. They don't drop the whole season. I think that Wandavision is kind of perfect for that uh, style. Big time. But there were people who complained, you know, they were like, I, I have my time chunk and I want to 
I want to spend six hours binging. You know what I mean? I'm not a marketing major, but I feel like it wouldn't be as big of a buzz if it hadn't been drawn out from week to week with people spinning their own guesses and conspiracy theories and stuff like that. If it had been dropped like a Netflix bomb. Same here. And the people, for for instance, someone like me who really didn't know the comics, to me, I was thinking, how are they going to pull this off? What's coming next? Where are they going? And I would, you know, read the recaps or go on YouTube. And the people that really knew the comics were saying, oh, my gosh, look at this Easter egg. Look at this Easter egg. So it was really hitting on so many different levels. But I think, you know, the one episode at a time really piqued that interest for, you know, full-blown nerds who knew everything about the comics to someone who, a full-blown nerd, but not this nerdy, didn't know Mm. a lot about the Marvel comics. It was really, really interesting to me, and I couldn't wait to see where they were going with it. Yeah, for a while, I thought that Netflix, uh, you know, like, video killed the radio star. Like, Netflix was going to kind of kill the once-a-week episode because binging has become such a thing. But here's here's a show that sort of reminded us what it's what it's like to wait and want to wait to some degree. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was more exciting. I mean, I can remember when Vader announces that Luke is his son, you know, and, and at that time, being old enough to remember, you know, you were waiting between those two movies and saying, that Keith, fucking, there's no way, you know, that they're that that they're related, right? And so mm-hmm. there were all those kind of conspiracy theories going back and forth, you know, for that. This is a, you know, a, a minor little six days, you know, you're talking about it, but it's still... I, I thought Han Solo was dead for three years. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, thought yeah, right. he was frozen mm-hmm. in carbonite. I thought he was dead. I had no idea he was going to still be alive, but yeah. yeah. I love that they sort of redeemed the Scarlet Witch with this series because mm-hmm. so far what the MCU's done with her has been kind of pathetic to the original character. And now we're finally seeing like a fully realized Scarlet Witch is like one of my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little sad over now the fact that like they've solidified the fact that she is not like a mutant and she doesn't have the same origins as our comic Scarlet Witch. But like, I'm very, very excited to see what they do with the character next because they're taking her in that territory that I like in the comics in that gray space of is she a hero or not? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you always talk about motivations and stakes and just her whole motivation into going into the realm of a villain is was just amazing to me. And I bought it full line and sinker. I mean, I just believed every bit of it. Mm-hmm. Her grief was very powerful in this. Mm-hmm. I know we say like, you know, emotions are not the strong suit of Marvel properties, but this was it was properly sad. It was devastating. And, you know, if you've ever dealt with loss and grief, everyone constructs their own reality. Everyone tries to find some meaning and some sort of structure and some sort of um, foundation in the chaos. And the cracks start forming, though, pretty quickly, even no matter what you try to do. And that's what was happening was that she had formed this reality to to protect her from grief. She didn't want to feel the grief. She wanted to, you know, live uh, with vision forever. And But the cracks started forming pretty quickly, just like it does in everyday life when you're grieving the love of a lost one. 
So I think there's a there's maybe a little bit of a parallel because I was thinking while you while you two were talking, Marvel does grief, you know, they 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 have, you know, but they they do it like we binge, I think. It's like we get it in the course of I don't know, Hawkeye off stage becoming a villain because of his family, right? Mm-hmm. And Black Widow having to reel him back in, right? Um but we don't, they weren't patient with that story. They couldn't be patient with that story because they're dealing with all of these different storylines. And so it doesn't, it doesn't come off as genuine yes. in the way that I think this does, where they meditate on it for several episodes. And you're right, Trey, they, mm-hmm. they give us the way in which people construct their own realities to, to live in uh, as a result of that, of that grief. And I, and I thought, you know, that that's, that's smart. It's not trying to see someone screaming, a man screaming loudly and crying, and therefore we should feel his grief, right? Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. Um, it's watching it slowly kind of occur. Uh, and that scene with Vision, like that flashback scene where he's with Wanda back at the Avengers campus. And he says uh, she's dealing with her grief uh, after her brother dies. And he says that really great line. um, What is grief, but love persevering. I'm like, God, that's such a beautiful line coming from a red Android. I just didn't expect this from this kind of media. (laughs) Yeah. I think there was a tweet. Someone said, the sound, the sound, the sound you just heard of a thousand novelists screaming at the television when they yeah. read, yeah. <laughs> when they heard that, when they heard that line, it was so good. Just like, wow. Yeah. So uh, one of the questions that I also had was about the kind of the meta aspect of it. So here we have a television show that's mirroring, sometimes parodying, often parodying television ser- series after television series through the decades, right? Mm-hmm. And so the the show for those who've been under a rock and haven't seen it follows from the black and white era of television, you know, through the 80s t- till now. Um and normally when that happens, I mean, I'm a big fan of that as a as a reader, uh I I'm really drawn to the postmodern, you know, so the the Thomas Pynchons of the world and the Chuck Palahniuk's. And uh, so I, I speak that language, but normally when that happens, it has a purpose in that it's commenting on the thing that it's parodying in a lot of ways. I don't know. Does that really happen here? Um, Is the meta effective or is it just a fun ride through the decades pretending or nostalgically thinking back to you know, the, the twinkling nose sound of bewitched, you know, <laughs> that's kind of all in our heads, but it doesn't really happen in the, you know what I mean? I don't know. It's hard to say. Unless it was a comment on the escapism that media provides, especially for people who are grieving, but uh, it's hard. I don't know if it had enough time to make a full argument for that. And also because I feel like functionally it was just camouflage for the mystery too. So I'm not sure. It is. It serves a plot purpose, but I'm not so sure that it serves a a narrative purpose. I think it was meta in that it's a television show that's dealing with grief. And I think several times they 
you know, you think about the sitcoms where a very special episode of Silver Spoons or a very, you know, where someone grandmother dies and they spend 30 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, sitting on their bunk beds talking about grandma. And then, you know, the next episode, they never mention her again. And so I think that there was that, like Sarah said, the escapism part of it. And um, but I, th- I think that worked as far as meta goes, because they were clearly trying to say this grief and loss is a lot more complicated and a lot more nuanced than we'll ever be able to do mm-hmm. in a show, but we're going to do our best. And I, I honestly cannot think of any show that's ever tried to do it this way, ever. I don't think it paused and talked about or, or articulated it. But the whole time I was watching it, I was sort of thinking, um, yeah, this is, they're playing roles. And Wanda, in many ways, is forcing them to play roles, mm-hmm. just like she's kind of playing, playing a role as someone who can, who can survive, you know, who has it all together, following the script. But I don't think it overtly did that. I felt like I kind of had to do a lot of work to get there. And I might be doing the, the English teacher thing where my students would say, yeah, that's a stretch. You know what I mean? I agree. I do agree with that. It, it was harder. Um, it, it was a little bit harder to reach that meta kind of concept. But at the same time, I, it was obvious that the real you know, 23-minute structure uh, that most, I don't know, that sitcoms deal with any kind of emotion or any kind of grief was what Wanda was trying to do. I mean, yeah. she was yeah. trying to find some answer. She was trying to find some sort of structure that would give her life meaning, that she could yeah. grieve, that she could move on or not move on. And she could never, ever get there, no matter what she tried. Yeah, and and considering how many... Um, functional things each episode had to accomplish. I don't know if it could have gone a lot deeper than it did because a lot happened in WandaVision. Like a lot of other um, stories got started. We get um, Photon coming in and, you know, that's going to be a whole new thing with the Marvels. I thought we were getting maybe our first glimpse into the X-Men being spliced in with that false lead on Quicksilver, which was Mm -hmm. probably my greatest disappointment from the series. Mm-hmm. And then we also have um, White Vision now with a no idea if he's ever going to be another story. Yeah. And then the ultimate leading up to uh, the multiverse with Doctor Strange. I guess just to kind of pause here for one more second. I, in some ways, as I was watching through it, felt a lot like, I don't know if you two watched Stranger Things, but the last season of Stranger Things, one of the biggest criticisms was that it was it was reveling in the uh, 80s nostalgia a little too much. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it was successful in the first season and people loved it, but then they kind of put it on steroids and it was sort of a criticism. I think to some degree, you were kind of, or at least I was kind of wondering what was going to happen next in WandaVision, but I felt like in some instances they were stretching for the elements of getting, uh, getting the bewitched, you know, format, um, and the little, um, the little moments between the couples and things like that, just right. So that we would, you know, that would echo for us. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was that, I, it's something that I sort of felt while watching it. It's one of the, it's a small criticism 
you know, that I had, a lot of times I was thinking, well, is this purposeful? You know? Yeah. I had friends who, who really struggled to get through those parts when that, um, sort of meta stuff doesn't appeal to you. It can be a little bit of a slog trying to get to the other bits of the story. It was really the Mary Tyler Moore episode or the Dick Van Dyke episode, I should say, that was the one that people really, it was the first one that everyone really struggled with because they were saying what was going on. And then the the Bewitched episode, the cracks started to show a little bit. And I think people kind of got into it a little bit more uh, and parts of it were more funny. And then it was really, you know, kind of the Brady Bunch episode when things really, you really started to see something different was going on here. But I did feel like the Dick Van Dyke episode, especially the first one, they really concentrated on it being, it it just felt kind of cutesy and wooden in a lot of ways. And I don't know if that was purposeful or not, but it did seem to kind of get in the way. I feel like it was, but I also does, that doesn't help you get through it though, if that's not your thing. That's right. And I wonder how many television buffs there are out there that watch me TV or wherever you find these episodes these days who've, you know, who, who, who got the joke, so mm-hmm. to speak, who, who understood that this is Dick Van Dyke and this is Mary Tyler Moore without, you know, now we have the help of the internet and we can go to Reddit and go, oh, yeah, I knew that. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but to me, the most jarring one, I mean, I guess because I grew up in the 80s was the, the kind of family matters yeah. kind of episode, you know, I just thought that was hilarious because yeah. you know, those tropes and everything were stuff that we saw all the time. Yeah. But it was the modern family kind of office one that I just thought was so well done. Yeah. You know, cause you're just so used to it now. You just mm-hmm. see those interviews with a person that you don't even know who's there. And it was very surreal. Yeah. I was going to say probably resonated across generations at certain points, although I don't know how many, 70 year olds are maybe there are a bunch watching WandaVision, but you know, (laughs) um, you know, people of the era, I I was the same way as Trey, you know, the eighties for me, it's like that all popped where, uh, the other ones, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. Like they look at the episode and, you know, put their hand on the hip and Mm -hmm. made the funny face, you know, I just, I just thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. But it is funny, you know, because the office and modern family, it's people term that as meta because, you know, they're doing interviews in a show to show within a show. So this was like a show within a show within a show. I know. It was very (laughs) weird. Yeah. So we did talk a little bit before uh, the podcast about uh, the divergence from the Marvel formula. We all obviously liked it. Um, but Sarah had said, oh, Trey brought up, uh, with Loki and said afterwards, Loki sort of did some playful things with the timeline and so on and so forth. But then, you know, I said, well, they were doing a lot of laying a lot of groundwork for the metaverse and stuff that we're going to see in Spider-Man. But Sarah, you had said that you disagree that Wanda is doing the same kind of thing, I guess. Are you, were you just talking about the introduction of the character, those characters or? Well, it's funny in that between WandaVision, Loki and the Spider-Man uh, No Way Home trailer, we got to play the fun game called Who Broke the Universe? Because <laughs> yeah. when yeah. WandaVision first came out at the very end, um, when you find out that um, she hears her children 
and you know that she's going to do everything in her power, whether it's good or bad to find her children, everyone thought, well, this is how we get to the multiverse. Wanda's going to, she's going to break it. And then you get Loki and you find out maybe she wasn't the one to break it. And then you get to the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer and we got some hijinks with Doctor Strange. And now we're really not sure who is responsible for yeah. breaking the universe. Yeah. Do you think that's intentional? That we're, Or do you think that's going to be... I, I think it, it is get intentional. A, yeah. I, it's actually interesting. Um, I saw a lot of videos after the end of Loki where they say if you... If you overlay the climax of WandaVision with the climax of Loki with Wanda like powering up and attacking Agatha and that whole scene with the end of Loki with um, Sylvie uh, killing he who remains, that the moment when everything breaks aligns. Oh, oh wow. Which is interesting and feels purposeful. Which means maybe that's the same moment of the spell that Doctor Strange casts for Peter Parker? It's very hard to know. Yeah. Hmm. The whole trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home super perplexes me, and I think it's done purposefully that way. I have no idea what's going on in that movie. Well, they did recast one of the worst received, or or they're repurposing one of the worst received storylines of the of the Spider Man comic, right? Oh, with his uh, promise, his his trading in his marriage. People hated that. Well, and it was done twice in different ways. Yeah, one yeah, time yeah. a deal with Doctor Strange, and one time a deal with Mephisto, which was yeah. fueling the Doctor Strange's secretly Mephisto conspiracy yeah, theories. Yeah, yeah. What did you think? Now back to WandaVision. That's everybody was thinking Mephisto was coming. I mean, everybody. Oh yeah. Now it's like a joke. That um, Mephisto's behind everything and everything. So, <laughs> yeah, he's got to show up at some point now. It seems uh, it seems like Disney would do this maybe on Disney Plus because there's less at stake in terms of uh, money, mm -hmm. as you know, in a big a big blockbuster movie. Do you think this is their playground for the what we might call the experimental? So we might get to see more of it. Well, I mean, have you seen the animated series, uh, The What Ifs? Have you been watching those at all? I've watched like the first four episodes and I need to go back now. They're doing some weird stuff there. Very weird stuff. That's me too. I've gotten through about four or five and very strange, weird concepts that yeah. I'm, I'm actually amazed. It got greenlit. Are those canon? Yes, because of the multiverse. They're technically canon. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I haven't watched it because because Shen, my son, was telling me, Dad, that's that's TVMA. We can't watch that. And so I was Really? Like, oh, I think he would love them. But it's not. Then we found out it's TV thirteen or something. So now we can No, no, I think it's very appropriate for him. He I think he would love them. Yeah. So I'm I'll have to go back and tell him it's okay. Um, the first one is a little rough. Is a little cheesy. They get a little better. The second one was slow. The second one was very slow. But then the third one was really good. They do some... So the big complaint for the What If series was that people didn't like the voice acting. Um, I have not found any problem with the voice acting. And I think people's real complaint is that they have a problem with the writing. Because some of the writing is very 
kids animated series. So it's super cheeseball. Like in the first episode, they give uh, Bucky Barnes just a bunch of fish puns. I don't know why he has nothing but fish puns. I don't know what the relevance <laughs> is. But it was really like, like really cringy. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, one's a whole, one's a zombie episode and, and you're just, I, I haven't I seen that one yet. Oh, you haven't? Okay. No. Oh, but I just, I couldn't believe they went there, but it was so good. It was so entertaining and fun. I was, I, I mean, I'm just really impressed that Disney Plus is doing it. Yeah, I I think for all the bad talk that we get about Disney, that medium, all right, the fact that they have that, that Disney Plus took off and people are hooked on it and watching and it's successful, that's going to give us a lot more, I don't know, whether it's entertaining or some more edgy uh, experimental stuff. It's a breath that I think that the blockbuster formulaic story that we see recast over and over again. It needs that. Yeah. No, I'm for it. I love it. And that's a great way with a little love. (laughs) That's a great way to end the episode. Uh, The pub is produced on that series of tubes. We all know as the internet from the studio at Underdark, which doubles as my basement and office. You can listen in on iTunes, Spotify, Google podcasts, and Stitcher where we post new episodes every Monday. You can also find us at straylightmag.com where we regularly publish new poetry, stories, art, and of course, podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at the pub podcast on Twitter. Until next time. I love thanks you, for listening Dean. to the pub straylight magazines podcast about all things, narrative story and publishing.